0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We have a couple more weeks uh, today and next Sunday, and then uh, we'll take a break until the fall uh, with, and finish off the book of Ephesians then. Uh, but we're in the middle of uh, what's often called a household cold, cold, code, um, and uh, instructions for, for how we uh, um, build our homes in a way that glorifies God. And last Sunday, we had an opportunity to look at what the child's responsibility was to their parents, and it was pretty clear, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What we get to look at this Sunday is the parents' responsibility to their children, and particularly the father's responsibility to their children. And it says here that we are to fathers not exasperate our children, but to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, somebody reminded me this morning I think it was Mark Twain who who said that it's amazing what my father learnt between the ages of 17 and 25 and his appreciation grew for his dad as he uh, as he went through that decade of those 10 years and a fathering is a, a is a hugely responsible Um, necessary aspect of the home, and so that is what we get to look at this morning. If you do have your Bibles, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and I I already quoted it, but I want to read it um, so that we have it before us again, and we'll uh, just make some comments on it uh, today. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, Father, we now turn to you, our Heavenly Father, and we say, would you teach us? You have given us now counsel and guidelines for how we ought to be as earthly dads, and we find this perfectly reflected in you, our Heavenly Father. And so it's not like we're left without a model. It's not like we're left without an example. But we have you as our guide and your word to instruct us. So would you teach us? Um, We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. When Paul wrote uh, Ephesians uh, to this group of people, it was in the context of uh, a society which was the complete reverse of what he instructs fathers to do here in verse 4. In Roman society in particular, families were presided over by the fathers, and fathers could do whatever they wanted in the context of their families without any social stigma or without any second thought. No Roman father ever felt that he had a duty not to provoke his children to wrath, but rather the other way around. His children needed to be very careful not to provoke him to wrath. For if they did, the consequences could be swift and they could be very severe. They had a law in Rome which was translated from Latin. It's the father's power. And it gave power to fathers who were full Roman citizens, absolute authority over their property over their wives, over their children, over their slaves. And they were treated by, by most of them as chattel. And they could do whatever they wished to them without having to answer to the law, even to the point of putting them to death. Fathers in that society, in Roman society, arranged the marriages of their children. They could also arrange the divorces of their children. A displeased father could as easily disown his child as he could accept them into his home. When a child was born in Roman society, the child was brought to the father and placed before the father, and if the father picked the child up, it was welcomed into the home. If the father walked away from the child, it was either left to die out in a field, or it was taken and sold in the forum as a slave or as a prostitute. They had complete authority over their children. A number of the the individuals that I was reading refer to this story of a Roman man named Hilary, who wrote a letter to his wife, Alice, sometime in the first century B.C. Heartiest greetings. Note that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry if, when all others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child, and as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If, good luck to you, you have another child... If it is a boy, let it live. It is, if it is a girl, expose it or throw it away. They had that kind of authority to their, in their families. And so Paul writes to fathers. And it's with this very brief look at a culture that had a completely different understanding of how a father should, obey or should respond in a home. Some suggest, when he's talking to fathers here in verse 4, that he also means to say fathers and wives. Um, As much we find in other places in Scripture where they address brothers, and it does mean brothers and sisters. While I'm convinced that what he's talking about does apply to both fathers and mothers in the home, Paul very easily could have used the words parents that he used in verse 1 here in verse 4, but he doesn't. He uses a word which specifically means fathers. And so he's pointing out the role and the responsibility that fathers have particularly in the home. And one of the reasons why he does this, and we'll, we'll look at this in a very, in a number of ways, but one of his reasons is he wants to gospelize fathers. He wants to show how the gospel changes the way fathers parent their children. It's an amazing sort of realization that we come to when we understand that the gospel, the grace of God, the, 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 the model of God even impacts the way that we parent our children. And we need to understand, as fathers, that just as depravity impacts our children, just as the sinful nature impacts the way our children respond to us, so our sinful nature impacts the way that we respond to our children. And so it's important that we understand that what he's trying to do is show how the gospel changes and transforms parenting. I think another thing that I find fascinating here to understand is that when we were talking about husbands and wives just a few weeks back, we realized there that when he talked to husbands, he never once mentioned the authority that husbands have in the home as heads of the home. But he, he, what he tried to do was demonstrate to them how they ought not to abuse that authority, but to love their wives as Christ loved the church. In the same way, as he's talking here to parents, he is not concerned with the exercise of authority, but rather the restraint of authority in the home. And so, as he teaches them, he's trying to remind fathers that the gospel will transform the way that they parent. And sometimes we might feel trapped in the way that we were raised and the models and the examples that we have. Uh, one of the things that I was reading this past week, which uh, is such a helpful reminder to me and not only the area of parenting, but in all areas of life, is that we may not be able to do anything about our ancestors, but we can do something about our descendants. And so we don't have to be trapped or, or, or put in prison by how we were raised or by the examples that we have so that it controls or dictates um, who we are, but rather we can look ahead and say, this is what I had, but this is what I'm going to leave to my children. And so, as we talk about this, then, the fascinating thing to me is that Paul talks about being a father in, in language that's much, very much like sanctification. And you remember, if you were here six, seven, eight weeks ago, uh, maybe longer than that, we were talking about that part of the process of growing as a Christian, it's like getting dressed. Um, we, put up, we take off dirty clothes at the end of the day, and we put on clean clothes in the morning. And, and in part of the process of being transformed by grace is that we put off habits such as lying, or anger, or impatience, or a lack of forgiveness, and we put on kindness, gentleness, humility. And so, sanctification is described by by undressing and getting dressed. Well, he applies that same kind of logic to being a father. And he says, first of all, that as fathers, there are some things that need to be put off. There are some things that we need to take off. And one of the the clearest ones of those we find here in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger. Colossians puts it another way, where it says, Their fathers, do not exasperate your children, lest they become discouraged. And so that's the part of us that needs to be sanctified. That's the part of us that needs to be taken off. Why? Because constant criticism, constant aggravation, Constant provocation, being too strict, being not strict enough. um, By continually rebuking, we discourage our children, we demean our children, and we can even destroy our children. And so in parenting, there is always the danger of trying to subordinate our children by the sheer authority and size and strength that we have as fathers, rather than by the gracious, compassionate, merciful example that God demonstrates towards us as his children. The word provoke is an interesting one. It's a compound word, and it means to push to anger. Uh, it, means to, it means to make angry. And you see this in kids. It shows up in a couple different ways. Sometimes when a father provokes his, his kid, the kid just blows up. They just can't handle the pressure of what's coming on them, and they just, they blow up. Other times, they go silent. They've been spoken harshly to so often, or so much in that day, that they just can't respond anymore, and they just go into their little shelves, and they go off into their room, or they go off somewhere, and they just sit, and they play quietly by themselves. Sometimes they become indifferent. Sometimes they act up, or they act out. That's what happens when we provoke them to anger. And one of the most significant things that we need to understand in this is did we not learn a a couple months ago when we looked at Ephesians, it says, be angry and do not sin. There is sometimes, even in our children, a real righteous anger. Kids have an amazing sense of justice that's just built into them. And their little hearts and their little minds can become righteously angered At our inconsistency, or at our provocation, or at our exasperation of them. But other times, we can push our children to be tempted to be angry in sinful ways, and sometimes even cross that line, and in their anger, sin. It's a huge responsibility that we have as fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. Whether it be righteous anger or whether it be sinful anger. If I had the time this morning, I would say, let's have a discussion time. And i just say, okay, show me some, or tell me some ways in which you were provoked to anger as a child. Or maybe as dads, as you look back, you say, well, this is what I did. This is how I provoked my children to anger. But what I'll do is I'll just take what I've learned and watched and seen, and I'll give you some of the ways that I think that as dads, we provoke our children to anger, because it's good to have some practical examples of this, to know what it looks like. One of the ways in which dads can provoke their children to anger, and as I say, this applies to both mums and dads, but Paul is specifically addressing fathers. One of the ways that we can provoke our children to anger is by failing to allow them to be what they are, which is Children. We, we could put it another way. We make irrational or unreasonable demands which go beyond the maturity or the intellectual ability of our children. And we have no allowance for their inexperience or their immaturity. We put adult expectations on little people. And do you know how hard it is to live up to adult ex- expectations as an adult? Think how hard it is when, as dads, we put those same demands on our children, and we don't just make allowances for the fact that they are just kids, they're little kids that haven't yet matured. I think another way that dads provoke their children to anger is by making f- fun of them in front of other people, especially in front of their peers. And sometimes, dads, we don't get the sensitive nature of our children, we don't get the softness of their little hearts. And and so sometimes we just we get on we get going and, and we get onto an issue or we get on to a topic and we don't know when to stop. And we can push our children to just enormous frustration by either yelling at them or, or scolding them or yelling down at them or by using sarcasm or by making fun of them to the point that we just exasperate our kids and we push them so far that they just explode. I don't, I don't know why we have the tendency to do that from time to time. But that's one of the ways, another way, that we exasperate our children. Another way, which is, I think, one of the more commoner ways, is by favoritism or by comparing one child unfavorably with another. I'm sure that out of a congregation this size this morning, there are a few of us that have heard that phrase along the way in our homes, why couldn't you be more like? It's just sometimes it's, it's, we can't make our point any other way, so we we make a point by comparing them with one of their siblings or with one of their friends. And if you really want to harm a child, then make them feel inferior to everyone else in the home. And there's lots of biblical examples. We have Jacob and um, Jacob and Esau, and and how their parents favored. Uh, um Rebekah favored uh, Jacob, and Isaac favored Esau. Thank you. You guys know your Bibles well. That's good to see. But, but you, you know the tension that that brought into that home, and, and the tension it built up between Jacob and Esau. We have the story of Joseph and his brothers, and how Joseph was the favored one in, in the family, and how it just drove his brothers to hate him. Because of the intense favoritism of the father towards one out of the twelve. And so by favoritism, we exasperate our children. Another one is by being arbitrary in the exercise of discipline. It's by the by, by never knowing where the rules stand. It's by changing one day to the next. The rule might change one day from another day. The punishment might change from one day to the other. There's no consistency. One day it might be a big deal. The next day it might not matter at all. And when, when we have inconsistency in the home, it drives our, our, our kids nuts. We uh, think of this in the adult world. Um, I think we're sort of in a hockey season right now. And... Uh, uh, it seems that our lives are somehow regulated by the Vancouver Canucks, which is rather appalling. But um, nonetheless, we, we've had this issue in hockey with headshots. And and if for those of you who don't follow, headshots are when somebody whacks somebody in the side of the head with their shoulder or, or stuff like that. And it's causing concussions, and there's just a lot of concern over it. But there's a lot of um, misunderstanding of what exactly constitutes a headshot. When can you actually hit somebody in the head, and when can't you hit somebody in the head? Does it matter if it's the playoffs or in the regular season? And so what you have is you have both players and coaches and managers really frustrated because they don't know what the boundaries are. They don't know what the rules are. So you think if in hockey, hockey players can get exasperated when the rules change, what is it like for our children? When they don't know from one day or one week to the next what is okay and what isn't okay. Another way that we exasperate our children is by living hypocritically. By saying one thing, teaching one standard, and then living another yourself. One way that we can demonstrate this, which there's lots of ways, but is when families go bike riding. Who wears the helmets? It's a small thing. But it's a way of saying, "Um, you have to obey the law, but I don't. You know, I, I, we see this in other ways. It might be coming back from a shopping trip in the States. And, and, and you say to your kids, well, just put on the shirt that we bought you and, uh, you know, and we'll go through the border that way. Or, you know, we know that we've overspent our, our, our money and we're talking to our wife, but we'll say, well, we can count that one out or we can count that out. And yet we've been telling our kids, don't you lie. You need to tell the truth. And then we do the same thing right in front of them. And we can multiply examples like that. It might be what we watch on TV. It might be the movies that we go to. It might be the books that we read. But the the inconsistency between our life and what we expect of them can really drive kids crazy. And so we exasperate our kids that way. Um, Another way, we, we make them achieve goals that are clearly not theirs but ours. I call this living vicariously through our children. That is such a destructive way to exasperate kids. You want them to do what you never were able to do or what you couldn't afford to do as a child or what you failed to do as a child. And so you push and you put weight on your children to accomplish the things that you wanted to accomplish or could never accomplish yourself. And so we live vicariously through our children. It's such a difficult thing. To put that weight on children who have different inclinations and different motivations. Um, There's other ones. Uh, By treating them harshly or cruelly. One of the things I love about Scripture is it says that when God looks upon us, he remembers that we are but dust. He pities us. He, he, He has compassion on us because he knows our frailties. He knows our weaknesses. And sometimes I think we look at our kids and we think they're super kids. And we think that that they're made of stone and, and that they can handle anything that we throw at them. And we fail to forget that they're just kids and that they've got frailties just like we do and weaknesses just like we do. And so by treating them harshly and cruelly, we can exasperate them. There are others, but I think you get enough of the point to understand why we need to, as fathers not exasperate our children, and that these are some of the ways in which we do it, that we push our children to anger or to discouragement. So that's the negative, and that's out of the way now. That's what we put off. So what do we put on? Well, Paul says very clearly, bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. A simple sentence, but a lifetime of learning. And we start with that simple word, um, bring up your child. Bring up your children. We've come across that before. Do you know where we came across that? When he was talking about how husbands treat their wives. He says that we are to, as we care for our own bodies, we are to nourish and cherish our wives. It's that same word, nourish. Husbands or fathers, nourish your children. And it's like Paul is saying you've had practice or you've got an example because just as God has nourished you, he has taken care of you, he has provided for you, he has protected you, just as you you now have had some experience as a husband, nourishing your wife, protecting your wife, providing for your wife, caring for your wife, now take that example, take that experience and apply that to your fathering of your children. Bring them up. Nourish them. Care for them, provide for them, protect them, give them what they need to be successful in life. And that the the broad contours of what it means to bring them up, and we, we looked at this very quickly last week, and we'll just do it very quickly this week, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 12. And the broad contours of what it means to bring up our children is we need to teach them the Word of God. That, that as we bring them up, part of our nourishment is not just physical, it's spiritual. And so we pour the word of God into them. And then and Moses says to the, 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 the parents there, he says, we need to teach them what it means to love God through our example. Because as we are to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, that's what we are to teach our children. And so that's another broad contour of what it means to bring up our child. Bring them up to love God, And then a third one, he says, is the importance of the heart. Teach your children the importance of the heart. What does what Proverbs 4, I think it's 23, say? Guard your heart diligently, for out of it flows the wellsprings of life. It's the heart that will determine the quality and the character of your life. And so one of the broad contours of, of, of nourishing and bringing up our children is to teach them how to get a handle on their heart. And then a, another broad, broad contour is to teach them how to um, pull God into every area of their life. Remember he says when you walk by the way, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you go to bed, uh, the, you should teach them. So every area of their life is to be molded and shaped by the, by the Word of God. And then finally... He talks in verse 10 to 12. He warns him. He says, be careful when you come into the promised land and you get houses that weren't yours and you get clothing that isn't yours and you see gods that you haven't worshipped. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God and follow after those gods. In other words, he's saying we need to teach our children to be wary of the world. That's what it means to bring up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so parents and dads, we need to take that responsibility of shaping the character of our children, of taking an active role in bringing them along. And one of the things that I think we need to understand, we are not looking to change behavior. We are looking to change the heart. Because you can change the behavior without changing the heart of your child. And so as fathers, we are trying to get at the heart. Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, suggests that the child's heart is the world's smallest battlefield and the conquering of it calls for all-out hand-to-hand combat. Shape the heart of your children. So how do we then bring them up? He says two words. One is through discipline And the other is through instruction. Discipline is a word that has a broad range of translations even. It can mean correction. It can mean training. It can mean instruction. It can mean that word discipline. And it's the idea of rearing or guiding a children to maturity with the intent of forming proper habits of heart and behavior. And what we need to understand as dads is that discipline is an expression of love. To not discipline our child is not an expression of love. But to give guidelines, to to give correction, to give direction is a way of showing your children that not only do you belong in this home, not only are you my child, but I love you enough to correct you and to warn you and to discipline you. Discipline is an expression of a father's love. Hebrews 12.5 is an example of, of God's discipline to us as children. And listen carefully as I read this and try and quickly take what God is saying to us as his children uh, about how we as fathers can apply this to our parenting. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline. That's the same word used by, here, by Paul here. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary or, of being reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? See, discipline is a sign of saying, you're in this family. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you enough to give you boundaries in your life. He goes on. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful um, rather than pleasant. That's true. Both if you're on the receiving end or if you're on the delivering end. It's no fun to discipline uh, our children. But he says later it yields the fruitful peace of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see the result of proper discipline, righteousness, and training for life and instruction. The word instruction simply means to place into the mind. If discipline emphasizes more the, the, the physical side of correction, um, Instruction emphasizes more the verbal side of instruction. It's admonition. It's encouragement. It's warning. It's direction to our children. It's not, there's no such thing, loved ones, as self-directed childhood. And we have that out there. We have those over the years who have said, you know what, just let your child be. Give them a roof over their head. Give them clothes on their backs. Give them food for their belly, but don't tell them what to do, where to go, what to be. Just let them grow up. You know what? If you do not instruct your child, somebody else will. If you do not admonish and warn and and teach your child, someone or something else will. And so we are called as fathers to take the lead in the admonition, the verbal instruction of our children. You find this constantly in the book of Proverbs, especially 1 to 8. And we used to read Proverbs a lot in my family, or in our home, with my boys. I have three boys, as you know, Andrew, Aaron, and Anthony. Um, Yeah, Andrew, Aaron, and Anthony. And I have two daughters-in-laws now, Brittany and Megan. Uh, See, I'm learning. And um, what we would do is is often we would just read a chapter of Proverbs uh, throughout throughout, um, a a week or the month. And in Proverbs 1 to 8 particularly... You have, uh, you have stuff like, uh, uh, like this. I'll just demonstrate what I used to do at home. Uh, it's there, he would say, My son, do not forget my teaching. So I would say, Andrew, Aaron, and Anthony, do not forget my teaching. Or we would go to another verse along the way, uh, and uh, he would say, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. I would say, Hear, Anthony, Andrew, and Aaron, your father's instruction. They used to, used to drive him crazy after a while. But it was my way, it was my way of, of taking my responsibility to admonish my boys and take it and, and make it practical and applicable to their lives. So that when they hear the book of Proverbs, I hope even to this day, that when they hear my son, they will hear an echo of my voice saying, Andrew, Aaron, and Anthony, avoid this, watch that, be careful of who your friends are. Be careful of who you associate with. Be careful where you let your feet take you. And so we admonish our children. We speak truth to them. And then he says all of this in the context of of the Lord. The goal is to shape a life that knows and honors God. That's our goal as dads. That's our goal is to to take the word of God, take the love of God, take the, the teaching of God, and somehow bring it into the context of our homes and into the context of our children's lives so that we can use it to train them and to teach them so that they might know what it is to be a man or a woman of God as they grow into adulthood. As I come to a conclusion, I just want to read this little fact sheet that I um, came across by a, a fellow you've heard me mention a few times, Alistair Begg. And it's a great sort of reminder of just the basics of what it means to be a dad, and I, I like it. It's encouragement to me um, as a dad, and, and I, I hope for some of you it may be encouragement for you. But he simply begins by saying this, I am a dad. Even on the mornings when I don't feel like it, even when I know I blew it, even when I would let, rather be doing something else, the central fact of my existence is that I am a husband and a father. And there are responsibilities and joys and sorrows that come with the territory. I am a dad. The second thing is the home is the single most important influence on my family. Men, we need to get this. Fathers, we need to understand this. The home is the single most important influence. On my family. Sometimes you might feel, no, it's their friends, no, it's the music they listen to, no, it's the the teachers that they have at school. That is not true. The home is the single most important influence on your family. And as men, we can delegate a lot of our responsibilities at work, but we can never delegate our hopes for our family. The primary values and competencies and skills that my children and your children will grow of will be learned or not learned. In my home. Thirdly, because of the inherent difficulty and importance, fathering is the most dignified role I will ever play. You know, again, fathers, it seems, for the last 40 years have just been getting bashed in the media. And I understand, you know, just as there are, nobody is a perfect dad, nobody's a perfect mom, you know, nobody's perfect grandparents, but fathers seem to have come under a lot of attack, whether it be in the sitcoms, whether it be in the movies, whether it be in the magazine articles, fathers have somehow just come under attack. I hope that if you, when you leave here this morning, you will go with your head held high, saying, God has called me to an incredible Task and responsibility. One that is full of dignity. And I'm going to carry out my responsibilities to the best of my ability before God. Being a parent is one of the greatest sources of joy we can ever know. Murphy's Law excluded. Um, Being a dad is just one of the things that can bring great joy. Yes, it can bring great heartache and sorrow. But it can also bring great joy as well. Thirdly, or fifthly, thirdly, fifthly, I don't know, we can all improve. I like this as, as a dad. You know, I, I try to read, usually around Father's Day, a, a different book on parenting. I've got probably a, close to a half dozen, if not close to a dozen books on fathering. And just to throw away for any of you who want to read a good book, probably the most um, helpful book that I ever read on being a dad is The Effective Father by Gordon MacDonald. And it's one that just filled me with confidence and understanding of what my task and role was as a father. But it it came with the understanding, I can always improve. There's always something I can learn. There's always something I can do better. I, I make mistakes. I made so many mistakes. But I also learned not to make the same mistake twice. And so, we can always improve. Sixthly, everyone is unique. I think that's what I love about Scripture. Is Scripture just gives us the broad contours, but it leaves a whole lot of room for the uniqueness of every single one of us as dads here this morning. He doesn't, God doesn't try and squish us into a mold and make us all look alike. He says, here are the contours, here are the gifts, here are the abilities, here's where you live, go at it and have fun doing it. And he also does the same with our children. Even in our family, our children are all different. And so even as we parent, we need to learn how to parent each child in our home differently if God gives us children. And to remember that each one of them comes in a unique package with unique guidelines for their lives. And then finally, it is difficult to be a good parent. Stop beating yourself up. Stop you know, getting down on yourself, just understand and accept it is difficult being a good parent. Once we grasp that, once we understand that, then when we hit some bumps in the road, it's, oh man, this is a tough job. But I'll, I'll do better tomorrow. You know, I'll do better next week. And so just find that, find that as an encouragement in your life. Don't give up. Don't let somebody else take over for you. Just settle in the fact it is difficult to be a good parent. So, God, uh, to us as fathers, God has called us to a tremendous responsibility, one that is filled with just incredible joy and sometimes incredible sorrow. But God is our example and model, and He's demonstrated to us what a good father looks like. All we need to do is continue to have our eyes upon Him and to remember what He says to us as dads Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children lest they become discouraged.